peace and control. Uh, those are terms that I keep coming back to in my life, especially when I feel out of control. The Lord draws me back to this place of measuring these ideas of peace or control. Um, I know that there are times in my life where things are just going normal. Um, I can predict what will happen in a day, and for the most part, it'll happen. Uh, in fact, my son and I, just for fun, have been playing this game when we go on car rides uh, to look for things that are unexpected. Uh, it's something that Pastor Chris Nixon talked about a few weeks ago. Look for the unexpected because it's so easy to just dial into what is normal. And, and normal gets boring sometimes. Like, Lord, do something that's unexpected. Do something we didn't realize. And so we've been driving around waiting for unexpected things to happen and then to point them out when they do, to pay attention. Here's the funny thing. We ask for disruption. We ask for spice. We ask for, like, Lord, do something different so my week isn't so routine. And then there's seasons in community where things become very unroutine, like the season that we find ourselves in, not only as a city, as a nation, as a world right now, that things are very unpredictable. Um, People are asked to stay home from work. People are asked to stay home from school. People are asked to stay home if they're over 60 years old or have an illness. Um, Things are just different right now. And if things become so different, sometimes we decide, well, I don't like this much lack of control. Um, Things aren't normal. Uh, And in fact, they're so unnormal that that I don't know what to do other than to try and control more. And I know that I am subject to that as a human being. When things um, get out of control, I want to control more. Um, so I, I, I am given to fear in those situations when things become so expected. There was a season in my life a few years ago where these, things were so unexpected, the Lord showed me this picture in these words, this idea of peace and control. And he showed them to me in the form of like two different kinds of rocks. Like there's the control kind of rock, which is like the boulder that you couldn't possibly carry around if you wanted to. Uh, and then he talked about peace being this, this little pebble that you could carry around in your pocket as a reminder that uh, God is in control of all things. And he showed me these two images, this boulder and this pebble. And he says, there are two things in life every day that you get to choose from from when you wake up in the morning. He goes, one is peace and the other is control. Uh, but the reality is you don't get to pick both. You get to pick one or the other. And whatever one you pick, you don't get the other. So I thought about that for a minute. If I want peace in my life, it's going to require of me to surrender control over that which I have no control over. But if I choose control for a day, and we can choose it because the Lord is gracious in allowing us to make free will choices, we can choose control. But guess what I won't have all day long? Any sense of peace. Just getting real. I don't, I don't know how, uh, how much attention we all pay to the news necessarily, uh, but I, I realize in situations like what the world is going through right now uh, with the outbreak of this virus that sometimes that gets very scary. Uh, and when I hold on to control, um, I am dictated by fear. And it gets very easy to get caught up in social media cycles and news cycles and to look at things and think, my goodness, the world is coming to an end. Um, everything about what's going on in culture um, is, is a strategic attack by the enemy, I believe, to get our eyes off of Jesus. And I realize that it's good to be cautious. I, I really think that it's good to be cautious. Um, it's good to be wise, uh, but then it's good to trust and to give up the control that we don't have, um, to surrender to the peace that Jesus brings us. And I was driving around this week, and there's so much in society that just seems a little bit off kilter right now, entering into political processes, entering into um, just this idea about this or, or that or the other. And it, I, was, I was driving actually up to Casino Road the other day, and I just confessed to the Lord, getting off of I-5, driving onto 526 on the overpass there. I said, God, I, I don't know what's happening. I don't, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what's happening, Lord. And it was a reminder when the Lord says, Good, because now you might look and listen to me again in a different kind of way. In this present moment, that was a thought going through my mind this week. In this present moment, will I be given to faith or fear? Will I be given to peace or control? And what are the outcomes of each? Uh, But in these moments where things are so out of control necessarily that the one that we know, I had a friend remind me, I said, things are just so uncertain right now. Um, And he goes, can I can I suggest that they're not uncertain as much as they are simply unknown? Because what we certainly know is that Jesus remains on his throne, which gives us greater confidence. Psalm 91, read it through that lens, that he is on the throne. That will not end. We're playing with house money. 
So let's be wise and smart in our interactions and maybe go with the, you know, with the shoulder, kind of the, the, the elbow bump, right? And like, don't touch our faces like we, I guess we do two dozen times an hour or something like that. Like, let's be smart, but let's be confident as believers for, for those who are suffering under a lack of certainty because they don't know uh, who they belong to and they don't know where they're going. That we would be a people filled with his spirit this week to go forth and say, God is doing something new. And it's not to be afraid of, but it's to press in confidently knowing that people are paying greater attention right now than ever. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, fill us, God, with your spirit. Lord, for those that may be checking in through Facebook Live, fill your church. Heal your church. Bring life and hope and faith to your church, that we might be a people present and available, filled by your spirit to love God with all our minds, heart, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors ourselves. Lord, let us do that with full conviction, total abandon. In Jesus' name. Well, it's an exciting morning. Uh, we're going to be doing, uh, there's one series that we're going to be doing this year that's a little episodic, which means we'll just be doing one series and a little bit will happen now, a little happen in May, a little happen in September and maybe some in November. But all of our guest presenters this year, I've asked uh, five different individuals to come and speak to our congregation this year at different points. And they're all local missionaries. They're all people that are doing missional work, not on other continents, but right here in the Puget Sound region. Uh, people that we did a series last year called God in the City. And what does it look like to find the presence of God in urban contexts? This is going to be an episodic series uh, that will play out over the course of the year. We'll keep coming back to it. But, but the concept behind this is that the church is also in the city. And the church is in the city, not just in the presence of buildings. There's church buildings all over the place. But the church is in the city through the presence of people filled by the Holy Spirit. And so what I've asked that our guest presenters come and talk about the places and spaces in which they have seen God moving and working and living and breathing in the city because of their presence. Uh, Matthew 5.16 talks all about doing good works so that people would look towards the Father and say, He is good. He is good. That our good works wouldn't be to just glorify ourselves, but that people would stop and point at God and say, God must be real because, because of Minta. Because God, because Mint is here, God is, is real. Because we, we see the tangible love and presence of Jesus through this person. Why would, you know, and, and just their ability to follow in faith and walk forward, uh, lacking fear uh, or not giving in to fear to say, I want to make a difference in my city. Minta Bousset is a friend of ours. Uh, she is the director of Casino Road City Life, which meets in this space again on Tuesday and Thursday evenings. Sometimes they meet on ski slopes at Stevens Pass on Wednesday afternoons. Sometimes they meet at Black Diamond for retreats. Sometimes they meet uh, in, in homes. Sometimes they meet in schools. Uh, but Minta has been a part of reaching out to this community specifically for the last 14 years as the director of City Life with Youth for Christ. Uh, she is commissioned to share in the love of Jesus with kids in this community and help them see their identity as people made in God's image. And it's just been a privilege getting to know Minta really over the course of the last year. And then to see her work, not only just in this space, but also um, in, in school settings, to see her work, uh, her bedside matter in hospital rooms uh, with kids that are going through really, really difficult things, to watch her fight uh, for uh, the rights of kids with Child Protective Services and other organizations with love and grace, but also a lot of truth and conviction. Um, and so I've asked Minta to come and just spend a little time sharing with us this morning um, about uh, her role in the city. So Minta, would you come? And let's please welcome Minta. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. And before I jump in, I just want to say, kind of allude to what Chris was talking about today. Like, this has just been such a strange week, strange couple of weeks. And it has been so good this morning to experience worship because I keep coming back to that as my inbox fills up with emails about what do we do and how do we wash our hands and who goes to work and who doesn't go to work. What programs do we run? What programs do we not have? Um... And even ignorant statements that I hear from people about not drinking Corona beer or going to Asian restaurants. <laughs> you know, like, the, 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 it's maddening <laughs> right now where we're at. 
And I keep coming back to this place of, like, yes, we don't always know what to do. We know to wash our hands. We know to stay home if we're not feeling well. But what we can do is reach out to our Heavenly Father. And so putting myself in a place of worship this last week has been really key to my sanity (laughs) and my personal health. (laughs) Um, Just because that's important. We have to stay connected to our Father and and keep our eyes on the big picture of life and the purpose and meaning of life. This is not the first health scare we've ever had in the history of the world. It is one, and it is legitimate, but we have a God who's test, like, who has been across the span of time from the beginning till the end, and he will out-exist our beings and we need to trust him. He knows what's going on. And and part of how we show our trust in him is through worship. So um, this morning, um, thanks for letting me be here. As Chris said, I am the City Life Director of Casino Road. But I also get the privilege of supervising staff who run City Life in Monroe and Bellevue and South Seattle. And I sit on the City Life national team because it is a national ministry with Youth for Christ. So I hear from people who do similar work to me as me um, all across the country, <laughs> from Columbus to Miami to New York City. I get to hear all of the stories, and it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to do this work and to be called to it. And um, It's just an honor for me to be here this morning and share some stories. So this morning, I'm going to share with you some of my story and how I got to this job and this place in my life. And then we're going to look at some scripture that has been particularly meaningful to me in the work I I do. And then I'm going to share some stories of kids and families that I've worked with over the last few years. So just kind of wanted to give you the outline of where we're going. But... um, I was actually born here in Everett <laughs> in many years ago. I won't say my age, but um, I was born here, and I have a lot of ties to this city. Uh, my grandparents lived here all growing up. My family, my grandfather started a small business, a lumber mill here in the 50s. And so my, much of my life has been tied to Everett before, long before I even started working here. Um, growing up, I had a really great childhood. My parents are amazing. They worked really hard to break cycles of addiction and poverty and anxiety, mental health things that kind of plagued both sides of their families. And they raised my sisters and I different. So how that looked was they both grew up in the city. They both went to Everett High School and did... Um, and decided they wanted to move to the country. (laughs) They wanted to homeschool their children, and they both grew up in front of televisions, uh, and they didn't want to have a TV. So much of my childhood was being very, very different than a lot of my friends. (laughs) I, um, yeah, like I said, I was homeschooled, didn't have a television, but with that, even though that could seem like I grew up in a bubble, there was still a lot, this, this const, kind of constant awareness that there was pain and hurt and suffering in the world. And a lot of that was experienced through my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, um, a lot of mental health problems and addictions still plagued my family. And growing up, I had, um, we had cousins that lived with me from time to time, cousins who lived with my grandparents. Um, so I remember several times as a child, my mom, um, kind of coaching me and my sisters that, um, when my uncle, when my cousin's dads got out of jail, like they might try to come around, but there were restraining orders. So we had to not give away any information if somebody was to call and start asking about my family in any way, shape or form. So I, um, I love how weird my childhood was, but I also love that I was not immune to pain. But I think my parents did a really, really good job helping create safe spaces in pain. 
And that's going to tie into a little bit of my work um, later. So another thread um, in my family was that we all are German and we all are Lutheran. (laughs) So (laughs) I grew up and was baptized as an infant. Um, I grew up singing hymns, going to church every Sunday. Everybody was Christian. Everybody went to church. That was just how it was. Um, No questions asked. However... um, As you can imagine, and maybe some of you can relate, as a child, when you grow up hearing about God and believing in God, and then hearing that the church needs to mean something, and then seeing how the church plays out in your own family, (laughs) and how some family members were elders and in leadership of their church, but then I would watch how they would treat each other, and I would be a part of some of the drama that went on at work, and um, the hypocrisy was, was really frustrating for me as a kid. So I grew up feeling like I love God, I believe in God, I talk to God all the time. I really did not want anything to do with church. Because to me, church was confusing and frustrating, and it didn't really make sense. And even though I went every Sunday... So um, fast forward to middle school. (laughs) When I was in middle school, uh, the church we were going to didn't have a youth group. And my parents said, you know, we really want to invest in our children's faith development. So they switched churches to a non-denominational church um, in Monroe. And uh, I, (laughs) as as a a typical stubborn child, I hated the change. (laughs) I fought it with every fiber of my being. (laughs) But what my parents did by bringing me there was put me in a congregation that talked about the gospel. And it's so weird to me because I'm sure I've heard it in the other churches I went to, but it was not presented so clearly. And I remember every Sunday that we went to church, even though I fought the whole way there. (laughs) So parents take note of your stubborn children. They're still thinking and paying attention to other things. (laughs) Um, I would still listen to the message that the pastor said and hear the gospel every single Sunday. And I remember praying the prayer and accepting Jesus into my heart every Sunday. (laughs) But I wouldn't tell anybody because I was too stubborn. Um, So that became a transformational thing for me. Um, And finally, I remember, I don't know if it was like eighth, ninth grade. I was like, all right, God. This is the last time. I'm going to pray this prayer, and this is the absolute last time. (laughs) I don't think I need to ask you into my heart every week. Um, So I did, and I was like, okay, moving forward. Um, Rolling into high school, I still really didn't trust church, but I actually liked going, and I loved learning about the Bible. Um, I, I just soaked it all in every Sunday, but I wouldn't go to youth group. And I had a friend who, um, would invite me to winter camps and camps and summer camps and retreats. And churches seem to have a lot of those, and she would invite me all the time. And again, being the stubborn kid that I was and the not trusting person of church, I just said no every time. And I was really, really good at making excuses. <laughs> I don't even remember what all my excuses were, but I knew I had them, and I was really convincing. But for some reason, my friend, my stubborn friend, <laughs> kept asking me, And one year she said, hey, Minta, why don't you come to winter camp? Just give it a try one time. And I was like, okay. And then I walked around the corner and was like, ah, why did I say that? (laughs) But again, my pride, I couldn't turn back. And so I went to winter camp and had a deeply, deeply profound encounter with God's spirit. And my mom will tell you that I came back completely changed. I was a different person. It was almost as if there had been like a melting or an unleashing of some hold that was on my heart and on my spirit. And I was finally starting to be who God had actually created me to be, which is powerful. (laughs) When your parent says your personality is different, that's a big deal. I came back more in love with Jesus than I'd ever been. And granted, (laughs) that next week my youth pastor got fired for slaying people in the spirit. (laughs) That was a little bit hard to get over because I didn't understand what that meant. Um, 
it didn't seem to matter to me as much as it used to. And I went to church every Sunday. I got involved in the youth ministry. I got involved in children's ministry. Anywhere I could possibly get involved, I was so hungry to be to serve and to be who God created me to be. I got involved in everything. And it was a pretty powerful time. Um, I remember feeling for the first time ever just freedom and warmth. And I, I now look at back on that as being the Holy Spirit's work in my life. The Holy Spirit healing me, um, melting the, the layers and the calluses I had on my soul. Um, as I was rounding um, high school and thinking about college, I knew I wanted to do something with ministry. And um, I didn't know what that was, but I had a really, really good friend who wanted to go to Bible school in Canada. So I decided to go with her, and um, I signed up for Columbia Bible College and uh, got accepted into the college to study counseling and biblical studies. And that was an amazing time. I honestly was so excited and so scared, but I just felt like I needed to trust God and for the first time in my life, I was going to move away to a, not just a college, but to a different country and experience God on my own. So as much as it was very scary, it was really, really good for me. And at that college, experiencing people from all different denominations, all different walks of life, all different cultures, um, coming together, learning about the Bible, having really in-depth conversations about God's word and not always agreeing, but still loving and caring about each other was so healthy for me. (laughs) It was so healthy for me. I can't even begin to tell you what that time did for me. But um, my freshman year, they said they were going to go on a spring break missions trip. And I didn't know where they were going. And I didn't fully understand what a missions trip was because I'd never gone on one before. I just knew it was where you went and served people in different areas. So I was like, okay, sure. My roommate was going. My friends were going. I totally wanted to go without even having any idea where they were going to go. And can you imagine my shock when they said, yeah, we're going to Seattle on this missions trip. And I was like... Yeah, so we ended up going on a missions trip to Seattle, and I was like, come on, I've been to Seattle, I know what goes on there, I grew up in the area, what are you going to show me? But what God did on that trip was he used that experience for me to walk the same streets I've always walked and grew up walking, and look at them through different eyes, to see the city that I claim, because anytime you travel anywhere in the world, you tell people you're from Seattle, right? Because who knows wherever it is. Some people do, not everybody. But so Seattle is my major city. And so for me to serve in homeless shelters and to look at, learn from the people who serve the homeless every single week, every single day, to hear from them their heart um, for the people and how God sees the people on the streets and how God sees the city was so incredibly impactful. And I remember thinking, wow, that's amazing. I had no idea the layers that were in my city and no idea the work that was going on in this city because I'd often heard, you know, as many of us have, that Seattle's just an unchurched city and that nobody loves God there. That's just simply not true. God is very much at work in Seattle. It just may look different than other areas. Um, So that kind of catapulted me into this love for missions. And so I, I felt like, okay, I don't necessarily know what career path I'm going to go on, but I think that I want to be a missionary. And from what I had kind of gathered from what I'd seen other women do in ministry was that they usually did children's ministry or were in nursing or different things like that. And I thought, oh, 
okay, I'm going to become a nurse so that I can have a good job and then I can travel around the world and do missions and serve. And so I decided um, to start pursuing a degree in nursing. Um, and, and that was a really good and a really challenging time. But I couldn't shake this love for the youth in my community. And I got involved in the youth ministry back home in Monroe um, that I had grown up in. And I started leading and eventually became the director. So here I was working for my dad full-time through college, going to college full-time for nursing school. And couldn't give up ministry because I loved it so much. And finally, it kind of came to a head. <laughs> and I felt like I was going to lose my mind. I was only sleeping three or four hours a night. I don't know if you can relate. <laughs> um, but something had to give. And I decided that I was going to give up ministry for a while. So I went to my pastor and just said, hey, I can't do this anymore on the level I've been doing I need to focus on my education, and I need to work because I have to survive. And he said, hey, you know, I really appreciate you telling me this, but I actually have a, another suggestion for you if you're open to it. And I'm like, well, sure, why not, whatever. Um, and he told me about an internship through Seattle Area Youth for Christ where they scholarshiped college students and gave them a monthly um, stipend to live off of in order to do ministry, youth ministry, in their communities. And I was like, oh, huh, maybe I should apply for that. So really, I went and applied, and <laughs> I think I was like a week or so after the deadline, but they still took me in for an interview, and I interviewed, and I ended up getting an internship with Seattle Youth for Christ, and that was about 15 years ago. And it's funny to me because even though I had a heart for ministry, the reason I took that was for money. And I look at how ironic it is to be in ministry that um, so many years later and know that it's not even close to about money. Because if you were in it for the money, you wouldn't be doing it anymore. <laughs> but God does provide, and God has been very, very good for me. But during that time, I also was participating in mission trips with my church and traveling all over the world because I kept thinking, God, where are you going to call me? Maybe it's not here. Maybe it's there. I went to Chile and Nicaragua. I traveled to so many places. Anywhere a church would go on a mission trip, I was there. And every time I traveled to a different country, I would try to envision my life there and, and just be totally open to God calling me <laughs> to be in that country or live in that exotic place or whatever it was. And I just never felt a yes. I never felt that release, and I didn't know why, and it was kind of getting frustrating. Um, and so I was having, like, really in-depth conversations with God, like, what are you doing? Like, how are you not calling me? I don't know what to do next. I don't know what my next step is. But over time, through the internship, um, I started getting involved in ELL, ESL classes and working with kids in the rougher neighborhoods of the community I was in. And I was meeting kids from all over the world. And there was something inside of me for those weeks and months that I started doing that, that I was like, huh, maybe this whole time I had been thinking that God was calling me to serve people around the world out there. But what I had failed to realize is that God had brought the nations into my backyard. And for me personally, I won't say this for everybody because I do believe in missions and overseas missions and going. But for me personally... There is something really anchoring and peace-filling about knowing that the nations were in my backyard and I had a responsibility as a follower of Jesus to be a missionary to the people in my community. And that God would call me to serve the people in my community, my family included, before he would release me to potentially go somewhere else in the world. And so that started a very long and a crazy adventurous career that I've had with Youth for Christ. Um, so the ministry that I run, many of you have heard of it, it's called City Life. And City Life basically means three things. It means a neighborhood or community-focused ministry. So we don't have a program outside of the community that we're working in. We meet in the communities we work in. It means holistic care for the 
the students we work with, which looks like Bible teaching, lessons, discipleship, but also we've recognized that the, the needs of the kids that we work with are so much greater, and to just tell them they need Jesus, but not also help make sure they have food on their tables, or they have a loving, caring adult who will come pick them up when drama is going down in their home and there's domestic violence going on or to help them get into driver's ed or help them get jobs or the holisticness of it is the huge part of it. And then the third tier of city life is essentially just to um, raise up leaders from the neighborhood. So Nevea is a leader from Casino Road neighborhood. The, the idea is that people from the outside can come in and support and start things, but that the real leaders of the community are the people from the community themselves. And so the goal is to raise up leaders in the community to lead and reach out to their own. Um, one thing I didn't quite mention, which I think you maybe have picked up on, is... Um, The work that we do with City Life is very challenging at times, and I'll tell some stories that will kind of help you see this. I did mention that I am very stubborn and that that got me in a lot of trouble and was quite a challenge for my poor mother to deal with growing up. (laughs) She is very sweet and very loving, and I was very challenging. When the Holy Spirit got a hold of my life, another thing I realized was that my stubbornness was actually put in me on purpose by God. But I've been using it to fight my mom and to fight church and fight all these other things. But really what God intended it for was to have stubborn, relentless love for people who are broken and hurting and who are struggling, in particular teenagers who are really fun to work with. The other thing that carried with me from my childhood and growing up experiences was that I, as much as I struggled with church, I loved God enough and I believed in his word and I was learning so much. I started to see that the church was super, super relevant and actually God had an insane purpose for the church. But that we don't just gather on Sundays for the sake of gathering on Sundays. Like, to me, it doesn't make sense to do that unless it means something. It doesn't make sense to look at Scripture and read what it says and without realizing, like, that actually means something for my life. That means that I have to take an action or I need to start meditating on that to ask God what that means for me. So for me, my stubbornness and this, like, this absolute drive to not do anything unless it actually meant something to me or that I felt like God was saying that we had to do it has really driven the work that I've done over the years. Um, Some of the scriptures that have meant a lot to me that I've kind of anchored the ministry um, that I've done over the years around are Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The work we do in City Life and Youth for Christ has a lot to do with loving, being humble, realizing we don't know everything. (laughs) Most days I don't have any idea what I'm doing. I just make a plan and pray and trust God. But there's so much I don't know about this crazy, rapidly changing culture that we're surrounded in. Um, But to know that God has called us to act justly, and, and towards the poor and the people who are on the fringes of society and to have mercy and compassion for them. The next verse that is actually one of the core verses of City Life, the City Life Ministry, is James one twenty seven, And this means a lot to me because it specifically names religion, which I have wrestled with. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Jesus specifically names religion and what it's actually supposed to do. It's supposed to be pure and it's supposed to look after those who are in the greatest states of vulnerability. But ironically enough, one of the books of the Bible that I actually... (laughs) 
love the absolute most in terms of what it has to say and mean for our lives and what we do in the in this community or in the communities or whatever area God calls us to is the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> and maybe you're like, I haven't read Deuteronomy for a while. I don't even know what it's about. But basically, Deuteronomy is a reiteration of the laws, of the guidelines that God gave his people, the Jewish culture. He gave it once, and then he gave it again. <laughs> he reiterated it. That's exactly what Deuteronomy is. It's saying the same thing God had already said, but a little bit differently and unpacking it a little bit more. Deuteronomy has over 20 verses talking about what it means to love people from other lands, about what it means to love the fatherless. And a few of my favorite passages are um, Deuteronomy 10, 16 through 19, where God says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. God was also speaking to the Jews who are particularly known for being stubborn, much like myself and probably some of you. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you. Give, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And then the last one I'll read, but there's many, many, many more, is in Deuteronomy twenty-seven nineteen. It says, Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow. God, since the beginning of the Jewish history and on now to all of us here in 2020, has called his people to care about people who are not from the country we live in, to care for the fatherless, and to care for the widow or the people, the single moms, the people who have greatest needs. That is a solid theme throughout Deuteronomy. It's a solid theme throughout Scripture. And it's how Jesus modeled how we are to live when he was here on earth. And that has impacted me very, very deeply. If you're bored this week working from home, I challenge you to look up the passages in Deuteronomy and unpack them further. <laughs> um, but God doesn't just call us to reach out, to, to minister to these people so that we can be pat ourselves on the back or that we can say we're doing good things. God calls us to these places and to the people specifically also because they have something to teach us. The person who is an immigrant, the person who is a refugee, the person who was raised by a single mom, the person who has no parents looking out for them, the person who has lost somebody significant to them has a greater understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is all about and what God wants to teach us than we can ever imagine. And the only way we're going to receive what God has for us from them is through relationship. And God knows that we need to go and serve and they have needs, but we also have needs as well. And I don't mean to pit it as an us and them. We'll kind of get to that. Um, but I wanted to be very clear that this neighborhood of Casino Road <laughs> has so much to teach the people of this church and of any church in this community about what it means to follow God and what God's intention for the world is and what it means to love unconditionally. So now I'm going to tell you some stories that I've had working with immigrant families, the fatherless and um, the widows or the single moms. The work I started doing in Monroe and that I do here in Everett is with a lot of Hispanic families. Many, if not all, are first or second generation immigrants to the United States. They've come here for many, many, many different reasons. But one of the very first families I started working with was a family that um, started coming to my programs, and I got to know them, and they were just so great. These boys, it was a family of three boys and one girl, and they would come to the programs weekly, and they would laugh and joke around, and they were so fun. 
But then when we would have moments of telling stories and they would get serious, they would tell me the stories about why they came here and how in Mexico their father had abandoned them and they were their mom was working as hard as she could to make ends meet and she just couldn't. Family would send money from up here, but they were struggling so much that their oldest brother had to get a job at a brick factory when he was in sixth grade. Dropping out of school in sixth grade, and mind you, this was only 15 years ago. This young man worked so hard to the point where he, he was having back problems and major health issues going into middle school and was not in school. Their family, who were up here already, said, this is not okay, and they worked a plan to bring them up. Mind you, this family had applied for um, residency in the United States prior to coming here, and they still, after six or seven years, had received no word and been given no green light, but having no money, no food, and piling health issues with the children who were working, um, their family decided to bring them up and take care of them. This family taught me so much in my early years of working in city life about what it means <laughs> and to navigate political lines, what it means to understand somebody's story. They would talk about crossing the border in such a normal way, and I felt like I was listening to a horror story. <laughs> it was so crazy traumatic, the things that they had lived through, and yet this is what they needed to do to survive. They were surviving. I'm happy to say that uh, three or four years ago, this family all eventually received their citizenship, and they purchased their first home, and all of them are completely completely contributing citizens, working in local YMCAs and public schools, loving people, helping people, that kind of thing. But still, the struggle has taught me a lot. And my stereotypes of what it meant to be an immigrant or why people were here or coming to the United States was totally, my were blown out of the water. These were good people who loved God and needed, um, and needed something somewhere else to live and, and different support systems than they could get in their own country. That's one of thousands of stories that I've heard over the years. Many of the kids on Casino Road have told us stories about their dad going to 7-Eleven and not coming home because he was um, arrested by an ICE person and taken away and deported, ripping families apart, sometimes justifiably so for crime, but many times really petty things that they're taken advantage of for. Um, the fatherless, for me, has been an interesting one. When I first got involved in ministry, I also had many stereotypes about what it meant to be a woman in ministry. And the programs that I started, I was trying to recruit men and women leaders, and it was very hard to recruit male leaders for a long time. And yet the, pro the majority of the students, and even to this day, the majority of the students that come to our programs are young men. And even though there were tons of kids coming, I felt like a failure because I didn't know. I'm like, I'm not a dude. I can't talk to these guys. What am I supposed to do? And I wrestled with God over that for very many, many, many years. But then I started learning through their stories that many of them did not grow up with fathers and were very uncomfortable around men, adult men, who even remotely tried to show care or concern for them. And that broke my heart. And through that journey, I learned that God, part of the other reason that God had called me to this work was that I, as a female, could be an initiator of the relationship with these students and help earn their trust and then pass them off and help them bridge the gap between other important males that they needed to have relationship with in their communities, but that they didn't initially trust. I cannot tell you the number of young men I've sat with who I'm trying to set up with mentors or trying to get connected um, to other um, jobs or different things, and their biggest fear is talking to this man or the man that, that I'm asking to connect them to because they don't know how to have a healthy relationship with men. 
It's a very significant thing, and it's a huge problem in our society that dads aren't always present. And yet, there is a huge need. And I'm really grateful to South Everett Foursquare for having so many male leaders who have started coming to our City Life programs. It has blown my mind uh, over the last year since I've come back to Casino Road to see the countless men who come week after week and women to serve and to love and to build relationship with the students that we work with. And they are not easy to build relationships with. Sometimes they start off all excited, but then you go to text them and they won't respond for days or weeks at a time. That's so normal, guys. That's what I deal with all the time. But God calls us to this relentless love and pursuit and to trust him that if he's called us to this, if he's put that kid on our heart, that we are not to give up. That we are to continually pursue them with love and grace and to be a consistent person in their life. And over time, I've seen how many of those relationships have come to deep fruition. One such young lady who um, grew up without her father, I walked with for many, many years, from fifth grade on into now she's almost 21. She'll be 21 next week. Um, I watched her struggle. I watched her brother struggle. Um, But we still had programs. They came to camps. They accepted Jesus and started their faith journey. It made me so proud to see her choose a man to marry who loved God and has been so faithful for her. And it has been such a blessing to me to have other male leaders come alongside her and her then-fiancé, now-husband, who are now mentoring and discipling. One of these men, I go to church with him in Monroe, and he told me the other day that um, the husband had reached out to him and said that he and his family wanted to get baptized and wondered if he would do it for them. So men, you are very significant. The fatherless are not truly fatherless because they have their heavenly father, but we have a role in, to play in pursuing them and showing them God's love and as a father figure. God cares for these students very, very much. And lastly, I want to talk about um, the widow or the single mom. Again, having a growing up in a healthy home for the most part, um, I had an image in my mind of why people were single moms or what happened in these scenarios. I had a lot of judgments <laughs> and um, felt like every kid deserved two parents, so why couldn't they have that? But through the work that I've done, I've met so many powerful moms. Moms who love their kids so deeply. And even though they can't always be there, like, physically present because they have to work, I've seen them show great love and sacrifice to get their kids a better education, to get them in programs that will help them in school, help them in their faith. I've seen moms go to bat for their children in so many unbelievable ways, and it's been an inspiration to me. I've learned to go from judgment of single moms to awe. These women are resilient and probably would not have chosen their circumstances if they could have changed it, but that's what they have, and they're doing the best they can, and they are my heroes. With that attitude, I've seen how the church, and part of my role in working with City Life, is to not judge them, not condemn them, but to come alongside them. The conversations I have with moms is that we are a program and a community that wants to help support you in being a good parent. We understand that you're doing the best you can, and we want to be able to have programs for your children and safe spaces for your children to be in the evenings or after school when you can't always be there or you're there but you're exhausted. We want to be that safe person that we can help take your kid to the doctor or to an eye appointment or to whatever it is. We want to be advocates and co-parents with you. We want to support you so that you are successful and that your family is successful. That paradigm shift has been very significant for me over the years because there are many, many, many single moms who are struggling very much. And they do feel judgment sometimes. I think they do feel very, very alone. And to know that there are people that they can call who will drop anything at any time to come help them, 
is powerful. I've sat with some moms and helped them budget, (laughs) figure out their bills. When they can't make their bills, I've gone to churches and had to make appeals to help them pay for the bills that they have. And always I get the sense that there's shame and that they're feeling like they're not good enough. And that is where we come in to say, no, we're all here to support you as a community. We're all here to be family for you. You'll be okay. We'll get you through this. In closing, I just kind of want to talk about heaven. (laughs) Because this earth is not forever. (laughs) And yet God calls us while we are on this earth to love the people that I've just mentioned, not just because we have a role in their lives, but because they have a very significant role in our lives. The Lord's Prayer, which I grew up memorizing, I knew it by heart, (laughs) because that's what you do in church. I would say the words, but didn't really always understand the meaning behind it. But the part in the Lord's Prayer where it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, has struck with me over the years. What does it mean for God's kingdom to be in here on earth? What does that mean when we look around and see so much suffering and so many families torn apart and so many struggles? What does that mean to actually have God's kingdom to be here and for us to be able to experience heaven on earth? And in my opinion, as we look at Revelation where the vision that John had of heaven was that every nation, every tribe, every people, every language would be worshiping God together, is that if we want to experience heaven here on earth, our heart as a church is to reach out to every people, every tribe, every tongue, every walk of life, every relationship status, every age, every gender, that all of us together make up the church. And only when we can do what God has called us to do and reach out to who God has called us to can we actually experience heaven on earth. And I will say, the stories, I, I think about the stories that I that encounter every single day. And over the years, I think, man, like, why haven't I thrown in the towel? There's been some truly heartbreaking, impossible scenarios that I've encountered. Things and systems that are so broken in families and lives that are so traumatized, it feels hopeless. And yet somehow, I get up every single day and feel so filled with hope and joy. And I get a sense of heaven every single day when I come here to City Life Club and the kids come bumbling in and making noise and running around and going crazy and loud and obnoxious and an occasional cuss word here and there. There is a sense of peace and rightness about that to me. And I feel a sense of being present in heaven when I encounter that. And I know a part of that has to do with the fact that I am with people who are not like me, but we are joining together and worshiping God together and pursuing that same goal. So my challenge to you guys is, have you experienced heaven on earth in any way, shape, or form? And if you have, how have you? And if you haven't, What areas do you need to change so that you are ministering to the fatherless, the widow, the immigrant? Do you know these people? Are you friends with them? Do you know their stories? Because God has something to teach you through, in and through them and through the relationship you'll have with them. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for this faith family. I thank you that they meet here in this community on purpose to be close to the neighborhood and that the neighborhood knows them as loving and caring adults and a church that cares deeply about them. Lord, for each of us, I just pray that you would show us what it means to follow you and what it means to care about the fatherless, the widow, and the immigrant. This neighborhood is full of these people who have so much to teach us about who you are. 
Lord, help us to have the courage to step out of our comfort zone and build relationships with people who are not like us, who you want to use to help us experience your love, your grace, your heaven on earth, and to teach us what it means to be more like you. Amen. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.
You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.